what if there were a fountain of youth pill that could add decades to your life? Would you take it? Unlocking the Fountain is a podcast about the mysteries of aging and the scientific quest to slow, stop, or even reverse it. When do you think we're going to have the first 150-year-old? I think that person's already alive. Unlocking the Fountain. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. Ever since the COVID-19 pandemic was declared, we've heard a lot of talk about tests. It's taken time for tests to be developed and manufactured to meet the demand, and we're still not there, though some provinces and some countries are doing much more testing than others. The bottom line is that the actual number of COVID-19 cases in Canada is likely much, much higher than the numbers reported each day because not everyone gets tested. That makes it hard to know whether all that physical distancing is flattening the curve. It's tough to know what you're dealing with if you can't measure it. And we may be missing a lot of people who have COVID-19 but have mild or even no symptoms. It's possible a large number of people have recovered from the coronavirus and don't know it. And even if you do get tested, it's not always clear what that result means. It's important to know what the tests actually tell us and what the limitations are. There's also an increasing worry on the front lines that some people may get a negative test for COVID-19 and develop a false sense of security, putting others in jeopardy. So today on The Dose, we're tackling the question, if I test negative for COVID-19, am I clear? Joining me today via FaceTime to help us understand coronavirus tests is Dr. Jeffrey Pernica. He's an infectious disease specialist at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario. Hi, Dr. Pernica. Welcome to The Dose. Thank you so much for having me on. Let's start with some basics. Many people know that the COVID-19 test is a swab of some kind, but it's different than, say, a throat swab test. That's right. Uh, The test that most facilities in Canada are using is what's called a nasopharyngeal swab, which is a swab that sort of goes in your nose to the very back, and uh, that specimen is tested for COVID-19. This is the kind of swab that really is used for all respiratory virus testing in Canada, which, as you know, is very common, especially in the winter months, for things like influenza, RSV, and other viruses. We do that test all the time. I've certainly been doing it quite a bit uh, lately in the emergency department. It's a bit of a finicky test because you've got to get that swab right into the back of the, of the what we call the nasopharynx, don't we? No, you're right. It's it's not quite a, a nose test. I mean, I think sometimes patients are surprised because we think of our nose as just being sort of the outside. But but you're absolutely right. It does have to go all the way to the back. So what are we actually trying to collect through that sample? Basically, what we're trying to do is get a swab of the lining of the back of the nose and the top of the throat, as well as, you know, little secretions that are there to be able to see if if we can detect the nucleic acid, the RNA of the COVID virus. RNA is sort of similar to what uh, many people know, DNA of, of human beings. So you're actually trying to collect a bit of the virus particle itself uh, living in the cells or on the surface cells at the back of your nose where the nose and your throat kind of meet. So how is the test processed at the lab? A lot of labs for COVID and other respiratory viruses do molecular tests. And uh, one kind of molecular test, people may have heard of this, is called the polymerase chain reaction or PCR. Basically, 
What it is, is a way to detect the germ by detecting its nucleic acid, its RNA. And so the molecular test basically tries, it's sort of like a little photocopier where you try to photocopy these little tiny, tiny bits of RNA enough so you can detect it with specialized uh, machinery. How confident are you at this point in the accuracy of these tests? So that is an excellent question. I must say, people have put COVID uh, tests together faster than just about any diagnostic test that I uh, can remember within the within the recent past, obviously because of the gravity of the situation. Now, in the beginning, there was some thought that the nasopharyngeal uh, swab tests were not as good as those for other respiratory viruses. Um, and this was drawing on some cohort studies that were published from China in the early days of the epidemic. Now, subsequent to that, okay, it seems as though with the refined tests that we have now, they are getting to be almost as good as, if not as good as, the tests that we have for other respiratory viruses. And so, to give you an example, the test that we are now using at the Hamilton Regional Laboratory Medicine Program is estimated by the microbiologists there to be around 95% sensitive, which is, which is really quite good. Now, that is just an estimate because really... Okay, to know exactly how good a test is, you need some sort of reference standard. You need to have another test that you can compare it against. And as really COVID has only been a thing for the past uh, several months, there, there does not exist a, a gold standard, a reference standard to be able to say exactly how good these new tests are. I, I'm inclined to believe that they are quite good, uh, but that has not been proven. So I was just going to say, because I want to back up to, to the, the, this whole concept of sensitivity, because you know there, there are a lot of people who are interested in science who are listening on this episode of The Dose. By 95% sensitivity, we mean that the test would be good enough to detect 95 out of every 100 people who have uh, COVID-19 infection? That is exactly correct. Now, that sort of sensitivity will depend on, obviously, the person doing the test. It presumes that the person doing the test did it correctly and then the process the sample correctly. But it also depends on the stage of the illness. And so with COVID in particular, it seems as though the amount of virus in uh, the human nose is very high in the first number of days of, of the illness. So in the first five to seven days, Viral loads in the nasopharynx are high, and so it should be more easily detected. Unfortunately, as people get sicker, it has been observed that there's less virus in the nose and more virus lower down in the respiratory tract, so in the lower airways and the lungs. And so nasopharyngeal swabs uh, do not appear to be quite as good as disease progresses. So how do you diagnose COVID-19 when somebody has advanced disease and, and there isn't very much virus in their nasopharynx and in the back of their nose? 
Um, so anybody with advanced disease, especially with uh, more problems in their lungs, will presumably have a much higher chance of, of being seen by a physician who then can, as they would for anything else, make a clinical judgment be able to recognize that perhaps this person has lower respiratory tract disease, and then other samples are indicated. So sputum uh, or phlegm, whatever you like to call it, may be better later on. And for the for patients who become critically unwell, who require breathing tubes, endotracheal tube aspirates, um, where they where they suck uh, secretions out of the breathing tube itself are probably going to be more sensitive than nasopharyngeal swabs in the later stages of illness. Something called a bronchoalveolar lavage, where they put a tube all the way down into the lungs and suck up stuff from there are the best. However, you know, those presumably will not be often done because in doing those, one can create uh, aerosols, which is a concern for COVID transmission in healthcare environments. How important is the timing of coronavirus testing in, in actually getting a, a, a true picture of whether this person um, has COVID-19 or not in the course of their illness? I think timing is, is going to prove to be pretty important in terms of being able to interpret positivity and negativity, more so negativity, from nasopharyngeal swabs. Anybody in the first five days of illness is much more likely to have high viral loads in their nose. And so the performance of nasopharyngeal swabs are going to be better within that time. So someone's test comes back negative, but that only detects whether or not they have the virus at that moment. And, and with community transmission on the rise, isn't it possible they could get infected any time after that negative test? So I think with the tests that we have now, Let's assume that our sensitivity is 95%. One could say, well, that means, you know, five out of every 100 people with COVID won't be picked up. And that is true. But what is also very important to, to, to take into consideration is how much virus there is in the community. What's the most important question is, for somebody with a negative test, what is the likelihood that it's a true negative or say it another way for somebody with a negative test what's the likelihood that that negative test is wrong and that depends not only on the sensitivity of the test but how much disease there is in the community so if say the community prevalence is five percent if the proportion of people being tested that are truly positive are, is 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 only five percent which is sort of uh where we are now at worst then that means if you get a negative test, you're still 99.8% guaranteed of it being a true negative. It's true. There is that two in a thousand people that you may miss. But don't forget, there's always chances of picking it up from somebody at the grocery store. We are not going to be able to fully eliminate transmission of COVID-19 over the next 
number of months. One of the reasons why I wanted to to ask you this question about false negatives has to do with my other gig as an emergency physician. And me and my colleagues have seen cases where somebody does have COVID-19, but an earlier test came back negative. Uh, and, and, you know, we send them home and they come back. They're a lot sicker. We test them a second time or sometimes even a third time. And that's when they turn out to be COVID-19 positive. That worries us. Does it concern you? I mean, it does concern me, and I, I definitely understand how you and your colleagues would remember those cases in which that happened. Because I think, as humans, we're primed to remember the cases that, that came back to, to haunt us. I guess what I would say, for COVID-19, like Every other diagnostic test that exists in medicine today, there will always be the possibility of false negatives. Not to say that we shouldn't keep working on the test that we have. I absolutely agree that the better the test gets, the better our patients do and the happier we all are. But the tests that exist as of this moment are quite good I, I mean, the thing is, for you and I, you know, working in the emergency department, working in the ward, working in the ICU, the likelihood that somebody actually has COVID is going to be much higher than the likelihood of somebody with mild symptoms in the community. And so I think the implications of a negative test in different places are always going to be different. Still, you know, how much does, you know, this discussion that we've had reinforce just how critical physical distancing is, you know, whether you have a negative test result or not? I think that is the most important thing to highlight from this entire discussion. I absolutely agree with you that that really social distancing, self-isolation are critical because there will always be people with false negatives. And if we adhere to these recommendations, the ramifications of occasionally getting it wrong will be much, much reduced. Hi, I'm Michelle Shepard, host of Uncover Charmini from CBC Podcasts. In 1999, 15-year-old Charmini Anandavel disappeared on her way to a job that police believed didn't exist. Four months later, her remains were found in a wooded ravine. I revisit the case that has stayed with me for over 20 years, ever since I first covered it as a cub crime reporter for the Toronto Star. You can find Uncover Charmini on CBC Listen or on your favourite podcast app. We've talked about testing. Let's talk now for a moment about retesting. And I'm thinking about healthcare workers, and I think healthcare workers are among the groups in society that are getting lots of testing. So once a healthcare worker tests positive for COVID-19, of course, they go into self-isolation. So what role does retesting them play in deciding when it's safe for them to return to work? So, so that I'm glad that you brought that up. Our, the tests that we have to detect nucleic acid, detect the RNA of the germ, they don't distinguish between when the germ is dead and when the germ is alive. Ah. Now, if you have somebody who was previously healthy and then gets a fever and a headache and a cough and you test them, and it's positive, then almost certainly that germ is alive and you know that they have active COVID and you know what to do with them. Now, if you look at that same person three weeks later 
who had, you know, five days of fever, you know, seven days of cough is now completely well. If they have a positive test, it's very likely that what you're detecting is residua of the dead virus. Now, we don't know because there is no mass capability of looking for actual virus. So Samira Mubareka at uh, Sunnybrook was in the news, you know, three or four weeks ago because uh, her and her group um, were able to, to culture the virus. And, and so that kind of work is, is, is critical to being able to do tests for actual infectious virus because that's what we care about after someone's gotten better, not whether or not they have dead virus in their system. So because we love our bottom lines on the dose, uh, I'm going to say this quite clearly, and you're going to tell me whether I'm right or wrong. There is no test that can be done that says you're free and clear and, and you're, you're no danger to anybody else. At the moment, it's just common sense right now. If you don't have a fever anymore, you don't have obvious symptoms of COVID-19, you're probably okay. So there are tests, but none that are available for the mass of people that would be requiring those tests. I would say that determination of whether or not somebody is shedding infectious virus or, or dead virus is something that at the present time can only be done in research laboratories. And so for the majority of people, we are making educated hypotheses around when it will be safe for them to reintegrate into society. We've been talking about coronavirus tests that collect respiratory specimens, you know, the nasopharynx. Are there any other types of tests that might be more accurate in detecting COVID-19? I'm thinking in particular of people who are asymptomatic uh, so that they, they might have the virus but not have respiratory symptoms. I would say for just about all infectious diseases, molecular tests, the tests that we've been talking about, are the most sensitive tests, especially early in the phase of illness. I think what will, will be important down the road when we're trying to figure out what to do with all these people who had COVID or who might have been asymptomatic and were never tested, I, I think serology, looking for antibodies, looking for evidence of immunity in their blood is going to be very important. Because so let's, let, let, we're talking about blood tests now. Yeah, it's just because COVID is not going to go away within the next few weeks. There will almost certainly be more waves. And so it would be extremely useful to figure out who definitely had COVID and is likely to be immune and who didn't have COVID and is likely to be susceptible. Social distancing will slow the spread, but it will not make people who are otherwise susceptible immune. And so these susceptible people, if they don't get COVID now, they could get COVID in six months from now or nine months from now or three years from now. And because so many people are asymptomatic, it will be critical to know who's at risk and who's not at risk. And the way that to do I that think, is, is to find out whether they have, if they have antibodies to COVID-19, it means that at some point in the past they were, they were infected. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of very smart people are looking for, for those antibodies, what we would call serologic correlates of protection, some sort of test for some sort of marker that would differentiate between 
who's had it and is, is immune and who's not had it and is susceptible. Scientists in Canada and at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in the U.S. are trying to develop a blood test that detects these very antibodies that you and I have been talking about, antibodies to the coronavirus, so that we get a better sense of how many people have had the infection, even if they didn't know they had it. And, you know, at least one biotech company in Canada is shipping test kits to the United States where they're being used. Meanwhile, Health Canada has yet to approve an antibody test. So do you have any idea why Canada might be moving slower on this kind of testing? So that I can't comment on because I don't really know the specifics of the kits that you're referring to. I would be surprised if any kits have yet been proven to differentiate between who is immune and who is not. Because, I mean, I know that COVID has been around for, for four months, the science is still quite young, and so it's, it's hard for me to comment on that particular aspect of things. But you raise an important point, that there may be some pressure, some racing ahead to develop antibody tests, but we still have to do the science to prove that they, that they detect this particular uh, coronavirus and can actually distinguish between people who've had the infection and people who haven't. Absolutely. You can detect antibody changes in people who have had an infection, but it's not sufficient to do that. You can't just measure any antibody. You need to measure an antibody that actually is linked to being immune. Because if you measure an antibody in somebody that may have happened post-COVID, but it, it's not associated with being immune, then that test is useless. And, and in fact, could be dangerous. So at this point, you haven't seen enough convincing evidence yet to say that we have a decent blood test that can detect antibodies and can distinguish, uh, you know, with a high degree of reliability, who's had COVID-19 infection recently and who hasn't. I have not seen in the literature any test that can reliably d discriminate between who is immune and who is not. That is correct. I think to have a test like that will be very, very important as we try to organize everything about society over the next year or so. We're going to have to try and figure out, you know, which healthcare workers are safe to be on the front lines, which first responders are, are safe to be working with people day in and day out, who can work in other essential businesses. And so that'll be really important. It will also be important, you know, figuring out these serologic correlates of immunity, a blood test that really tells you who's immune, that kind of thing is absolutely necessary for figuring out a vaccine, which I think everybody realizes is going to be very important in controlling COVID in the years to come. And, you know, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, if, if you could do this kind of blood testing in a nursing home, in a long-term care facility, you could immediately find out who has had a prior infection and who hasn't, and you could uh, you could rearrange who's living in, in what space in that long-term care facility based on risk. Absolutely. I, I mean, long-term care facilities uh, and COVID is a whole other conversation because there are so many issues at, at, at play, but... But I agree, that is one example of a place where, you know, a, a, a good immunity test would be useful.
So back to the broader picture, how crucial is coronavirus testing overall, whether it's respiratory specimens or blood samples in fighting the COVID-19 epidemic in Canada? Oh, testing is absolutely crucial for managing, for forecasting, for, for every aspect of dealing with COVID-19 in Canada today. Who needs a test? Who do you think needs a test? That, <laughs> that is also an incredibly uh, good and, and complicated question. If I had my way and could guarantee the ability to do the test, then I would test anybody with consistent symptoms or with a potential contact you know, including travel from away, although travel, realistically speaking, travel from away is no longer much of an issue now because we've all been in lockdown. Um, I, I would test as many people as possible, but that is not, you know, at the current time, actually feasible. There are a lot of very smart people at this very moment trying to figure out better ways of, of testing more people. I, I look forward to, to seeing, you know, what they come out with. We really appreciate all of your insight on this today. Uh, before I let you go, what do you want people to know about COVID-19 tests right now? I want people to know that the testing that we have now is very good and very reliable. And that in almost all cases, a negative will mean a negative if it's taken at the right time. And I am happy that there are so many people working on making our diagnostic testing even better and hopefully working towards a reliable blood test that can determine who is actually immune. And if a, a listener has received a test and it's negative, what should they do? I think that if they've received a negative test, it's almost certainly going to be negative but as you pointed out before, they should still be keeping themselves away from other people while they are sick. Got to leave it there. Thank you so much for speaking with me. Thank you. It was my pleasure. That's Dr. Jeffrey Pernica, an infectious disease specialist at McMaster University. Here's your dose of smart advice on COVID-19 testing. The test that tells you if you have a current infection with the coronavirus is called a nasopharyngeal swab. It's a long, flexible Q-tip that reaches into the tissue at the very back of your nose. That test is highly sensitive. That means if your test is negative, you can be reasonably sure that you don't have COVID-19. Hopefully coming soon is a blood test that tells you if you've had a recent infection with the coronavirus and are immune. Some countries, like the U.S., have started doing that kind of testing, but it hasn't been approved by most regulators and hasn't been endorsed by the World Health Organization because it needs more scientific proof that the test measures what it's supposed to. Regardless of testing, if you have symptoms that could be due to COVID-19, you still need to follow the rules. Things like self-isolation, frequent hand washing, and not touching your face. We know you have more questions about COVID-19 and other things. Let us know what they are and we'll do our best to get you some answers. Email us at thedose at cbc.ca. You can tweet me at NightShiftMD or the show at CBC White Coat. Remember to use the hashtag TheDoseCBC. Find The Dose and White Coat Black Art wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Dose was produced by Nicole Ireland, Donna Dingwall, and me with digital support from Fabiola Carletti. 
Thanks to Austin Pomeroy for his technical expertise. Thanks as well to Arif Nirani, Executive Director of CBC Podcasts, Leslie Merklinger, Head of Audio Innovation at CBC, and Alison Broadle, Managing Editor at CBC Radio. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. But if you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.